So the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. This is our last of three messages on this passage. So let's read about this extraordinary event one more time. We're reading the very word of God. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So we've been unpacking these verses and pulling out some characteristics of a true disciple of Christ. And we've seen that a true disciple of Christ obeys, even when the obeying is hard, when the command doesn't make much sense to us. Disciples hear the word of Christ and they obey. Second, we've seen that true disciples are folks who have come to know something of Christ's glory. At some level, to some degree, they've tasted the majesty of Jesus Christ. God has shown in their hearts so that with the eyes of faith, they've seen something of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Third, we've seen from this passage that true disciples of Christ are fishers of men. And while Peter and James and John and Andrew were being called to a very unique office as apostles of Christ, the call to share the gospel and to be witnesses to others is for all the followers of Jesus. As Spurgeon said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. You cannot truly know Christ and not have a burden for lost souls. As we learn from the miracle of this passage, our calling is to be faithful and drop the nets. And we're to leave the results to Christ. He can cause our nets to come up empty. Or at a single word, He can cause our nets to come up full. But either way, at His word, we are to drop the nets. We are to be a witnessing people, a gospel-sharing people. We are to be fishers of men. 
Now this morning, we're going to move briskly, so be ready. We're going to move briskly through three more marks from this passage of a true disciple of Christ. And so continuing with our list, number four, true disciples of Christ sacrifice for his sake. They sacrifice for his sake. What do we see at the end of our passage? We read, they left everything and followed him. I wonder, what has following Jesus cost you? What sacrifices have been required of you as you seek to be a disciple? In the case of these four men, this event represented a clean break with their old way of life. They were fishermen. Now they are to begin their training as apostles. Their very livelihoods, the way of life they had known all the way up to this time, it's all about to change. Before, when Jesus traveled south to Judea to preach in the synagogues there, these men stayed in Capernaum. They stayed with their families. They stayed in their boats on the sea. But now, they're to go with Jesus where he goes. They're to be his disciples, his ministry partners, his men in training for the mission that he is going to give them. And you might look at this and have a question. At least I do when I read it. And that question is, well, we've already seen that Peter was a married man. He may have had children. Is Jesus disrupting these men's marriages? When it says they left everything, did they leave their families? Did they leave their wives and children? Doesn't the Bible teach us to value family? Isn't family God's idea? Is Jesus really calling these men to leave their families behind to follow him? So the answer to that question is both yes and no, as it often is. So let me explain the no first. No, Jesus was not calling these men to forsake their families. And I can show you this by pointing out that while it's true that Jesus will have no permanent home, right? Foxes have dens. Son of man has no place to lay his head. It's true. Yet Capernaum will become, for him and his disciples, the closest thing to a headquarters. The closest thing to a home base. And so we're going to see Jesus and his disciples come back to Capernaum again and again, back to the homes of these men, back to their wives, back to their children. And second, I think it's helpful to remember that many years after this, the Apostle Paul is going to write in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 5, Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? So Paul mentions the other apostles, which would have included Andrew and James and John. Well, at this point, not James. He was no longer alive at that point, but Andrew and John. And he singles out Peter, Cephas in particular, probably because Peter's wife had become known among the churches of Christ for her faithfulness, and for her service. 
And so we will find that later, as these men fulfill their apostolic duties, as they settle in new towns and various cities for months at a time, they are bringing their wives with them. And if they still have young children in the home, I think we should just assume then that they would be there as well. So when we're told that these men left everything to follow Jesus, it means they left everything about what their old life looked like. And their life as fishermen and ordinary men in Galilee, they forsook everything, but not everyone. Their new calling as disciples would involve their families. When a man is called into ministry, it affects his entire family. Whatever their path has looked like to that point, it's now going to change. The whole family is involved in the calling of the husband and the father. For the husband is the head of the family. And what affects the head affects the body. One reason that I felt the need to emphasize that and to just be clear on this point is that sadly there have been men in the past, notable men, godly men, who did fall into this sin. There have been many famous preachers, men whose names you would know if I said them, who traveled around and gave themselves 100% to their preaching ministries while their wives and children remained hundreds or thousands of miles away uncared for and unhusbanded and unfathered. Um, I have two preachers in mind in particular that God used mightily for his kingdom, but who nevertheless, when they died, they left a legacy that was stained by this, that their families had been left unloved and unsupported. And on the last day, I don't think Jesus is going to count that as noble sacrifice. I think he's going to count it as sin to be forgiven. Christ does not forsake his bride, nor should any husband. So no, they were not to forsake their families. And yet, in another sense, yes, of course, they were. What is the sense in which they were to forsake their families? Well, certainly now, following Jesus is going to be more time away. They're going to be going on these preaching, teaching, healing journeys throughout Israel It's going to mean more time and energy and emotion and strength that would have normally been directed towards the family gets directed towards others. There's going to be a real sacrifice here, a real cost, even on the family level. And not just the men are going to pay the cost. The families will as well. Certainly any pastor or deacon or ministry leader could attest that this is often the case. But it's also just the same with every Christian. That is, every Christian that follows Jesus and gives themselves to his purposes and callings for their lives is going to find that there are times when Christ redirects our time, our energy, our finances, our resources, our emotion into the calling he's given us. And yet, in the long run, we will find that even as we've sometimes had to say no to our spouses and our children in order to say yes to something Christ has called us to do, he's working even through that to have an impact on our families. We do love our families best when we show them that Christ is worthy of our highest loyalty and our highest allegiance. 
when we can bring our families along in the ministries and callings that God has given us to fulfill, we should. And when we can't, we should try to help them see that Jesus is worth the cost. And if we do that, even that sacrifice is an act of love towards them. The calling to leave everything and follow Christ certainly means that our highest loyalty, our highest allegiance can no longer be to our family members. Later, we're going to hear Jesus say one of the hardest quotations in the Gospels. He will say, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What's he saying there? Well, he's not calling for an attitude of hatred But he is telling us that following him may require us to stand even against our own family members. Just as following him means sometimes standing against our own selves, our own flesh. Sometimes we may have to work against what our family members want or desire in order to be obedient to Christ. We must be willing to say no to our family sometimes in order to say yes to Jesus. We must be willing to displease them in order to please Christ. And so I ask again, what has following Jesus cost you? What are the sacrifices that you have had to make? And do you see those sacrifices as an act of worship, shouting to all who care to see it that Jesus is valuable? Jesus is worthy of those sacrifices. He's worthy. Number five, we learn in this passage that true disciples of Jesus follow where he leads. They follow where he leads. Our text says they left everything and followed him. What can we say about this following? Well, first, these men did not yet know what this would mean. They're leaving their old way of life, everything they've ever known, their, their jobs as fishermen, and they're going to go where Jesus leads, and they don't even know what that means yet. This is the nature of faith. Remember Abraham? God comes to Abram and Ur. He's a moon worshiper, and, and he's told by the God of heaven, go to a land that I will show you. What land? I will show you. But where am I going? I will show you go. This is the nature of faith. Abraham, he he trusted, he believed, and that faith was counted to him as righteousness. This is how it is with us who would follow Jesus. When we're first baptized in Christ's name, when we declare before God and the angels in heaven and all who care to see it that we are now committed to following Christ, we don't know what the future holds. We don't know what our master might ask of us, what he might require of us. When young folks especially come to talk to me about baptism, this is one of the questions I always make sure we discuss. Are you willing to follow Christ even if it means the loss of your friends? Even if it means being separated from all you know and sent to some foreign land? Are you willing to follow Christ even if it means suffering? Because it will. 
Jesus does not give us the full itinerary of our faith journey and then ask us if we want to take the trip. No, he calls us to trust him. And then we see what comes one day at a time, one step at a time. Second, this word follow means that these men would be with Christ and he with them, and therefore they wouldn't be alone. So here's the promise that makes what I just said kind of pale in comparison. Yes, the path may be hard. It's unknown to us. It may be difficult for us. But we're following Jesus. He's going to be with us. And as these men are now going to be traveling around city to city, village to village, town to town, Christ will be in their midst as they confront Pharisees and Sadducees, as they uh, spend time with tax collectors and prostitutes. Christ will be among them, helping them, supporting them, training them. And then even after his death, resurrection, and ascension, Jesus sent his spirit upon his people in a unique way so that his anointing presence is with us and every calling he brings our way. We walk in the spirit, being guided by the spirit, who is the spirit of Christ, so that we can say disciples of Jesus are never alone. The sovereign Lord of the universe, the lover of our souls, the one who died for us and intercedes for us and works all for our good, he never leaves us to ourselves. The one who conquered sin and Satan and death, he is with us. And therefore, yes, the path may be unknown, but what have we to fear? Third, this word follow tells us not only that these men would be with Christ, but that they would be behind him. Meaning, Jesus will be the one setting the direction. Jesus will be the one leading the way. Isn't that what the word follow means, right? There's a leader and there's followers. Jesus will lead. These men will follow. So let me ask you a question. Did Jesus ever ask his disciples to do anything for God? that he himself wasn't willing to do first and at a greater cost. In the end, three of these four men are going to become martyrs. All of them are going to experience terrible tortures. But before their day comes, Jesus will go first. They will see his courage in the upper room. They will witness his courage in the garden of Gethsemane as the wrath of God begins to be felt upon his shoulders for the sin of his people. They will see his courage as he dies on the cross. He could have avoided the suffering a thousand ways, but he chose to endure it patiently because of his love for God and his love for sinners. Jesus set the example. He went first. He says, follow me. All of our suffering for Christ is just the leftovers, the little crumbs to be endured before the end comes. He took the main blow. Consider your life of following Christ. Has Christ led you down a path that meant enduring trials? Yes. But He endured greater ones first. And we have His example and His presence and His promises. Are you facing temptations that are making your journey hard? He faced them first. And he faced them to a greater degree. 
He faced strongest temptations Satan could muster up. Honestly, you and I, we do battle against the minions of Satan, right? We're not important enough for Satan himself to be our tempter, right? I mean, he's, he's limited. He's not omnipresent like God. He can only be in one place at a time. I think Satan spends most of his time in the, the White Houses of the world, to be honest, okay? For us, we're, we're dealing with the minions. Jesus did battle against Satan himself, We've already seen that he went through 40 days of temptations, just one right after another, culminating in the three that were the the, the most powerful that Satan could think of, and Jesus endured them all. And the greatest temptation is still to come. It will be in the garden when Jesus feels the temptation in his flesh to run away from the cross, and he says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus is not calling you to go anywhere that he has not gone first. Unless Jesus comes back, the path he's leading us on will include our final suffering and our deaths. Does that scare you? Does death scare you? Remember, he went there first. He has explored the inner recesses of death. He has gone down that well. He has explored that mine. He has come down, come out on the other side as the conqueror, as the Lord over death. Yes, you will follow him into death, but he will also bring you through to the other side so that you will follow him into resurrection. You will follow him into glorification. You will follow him into a new heavens and a new earth. Fourth. This word follow means that these men would hear and follow his teaching. His teaching. In other words, the idea that they forsook all and began to follow Christ, it doesn't just literally mean that they physically followed him and went to the towns where he went. Now, these men had already been around Jesus and already heard some of his preaching and teaching and the power of his words. But now through this event, they are putting everything else aside to come to receive Jesus' words fully. They're going to be most intimate with him, sitting at his feet, receiving his wisdom, his instruction, his knowledge, his teaching. And as disciples, they're going to seek to understand it. And they're going to seek to believe it. And they're going to seek to obey it. And that's how it is with us. There is no difference between a Christ follower and a Christ obeyer. Those two words just mean the same thing. Fifth, this word follow means that these men would take on the callings Jesus put before them. Or we could say the assignments, right? Jesus is going to give to each of these men a calling, assignments, and they are going to take them on. Before they had been fishermen, now they're taking on this new calling as apostles. But even among these four men, their lives are not going to look the same. They're going to take different paths. Each of these four men, their callings are going to be unique. No two Christians' paths are the same. Peter's going to become the apostle to the Jews, eventually die in Rome. Andrews, we mentioned last week, is going to become an apostolic missionary to the Mediterranean islands and then eventually up into the Baltic nations. James is going to become the first real leader of the church in Jerusalem, but then one of the first martyrs killed under order of Herod Agrippa. 
John is going to be sentenced to death by being burnt in a cauldron of boiling oil. And he's going to come out unscathed. And in anger, the authority is going to exile him to the island of Patmos. Where he's going to find out that God's not done with him yet. He's going to receive a revelation that makes up the last book of our Bible. And then even after that, John's going to end up in Ephesus. Where he spends his last years as an old man pouring into younger men. So that Polycarp and Irenaeus and the next generation of the church is going to be raised up under the teaching of the Apostle John at Ephesus. Now, Herman, each one of us is going to have our own unique story. I am so glad that our paths connect. I'm glad that my path of following Jesus gets to meet with yours and that we get to walk together for long stretches of the way. But in the end, you're going to have your assignments and your callings and I'm going to have my assignments and my callings and Jesus is going to work through each of us to accomplish His kingdom building work. It is going to be a wondrous thing in heaven to see how the thread of your life and the thread of my life and the thread of millions of Christians' lives were all woven together by the wise, sovereign Jesus to create a tapestry of praise to the grace of God. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Sixth, this word follow means that these men would be calling others to follow Jesus. And we know this because Jesus just said so. <laughs> he has just told Peter, from now on, you will be catching men. And they left everything and followed him. So whatever else following Jesus is going to mean for these men, they at least know this much up front. They're going to be fishing for other people. This is a fundamental part of following Christ. Followers of Christ seek to gather other followers as well. We invite others to join the parade, the, the train of followers behind the Lord as He leads the way. Dear friends, we must never think of ourselves as disciples of Jesus unless we're seeking to bring others to know Him as well. That's what disciples do. Seventh. Told you we're brisk, brisk. Seventh, this word follow means following Christ forever to our final breath. In other words, and these men understood this fully, they were not signing up for a part-time job. This was not going to be a temporary vocation for them. They were not taking a sabbatical from fishing. And they'll, they'll come back to their boats in a year. No. They understood that they were giving their whole lives now to the Lord Jesus Christ. To follow Jesus is to submit all to Him. And everything else we do is now going to be part of following Him. Part of the service. Part of our obedience. For the disciple, following Jesus becomes the umbrella under which every part of our lives must find its place. And if it doesn't have a place, it's put aside. and can no longer be part of our lives. Following Jesus is our life. It's everything. So let me speak directly to anyone here who has not come to know Christ, who has not been baptized in the name of Christ and committed themselves to be part of His followers. I think I've been clear. 
Meaning, I've tried to shoot straight with you. There's obligations if you follow Jesus. There's consequences if you follow Jesus. There are costs if you follow Jesus. And yet, I still issue you the challenge. Will you follow him? Will you follow him? There is no other way to glory. There's no other path where you will find true joy, true peace that passes the understanding of this world. Following Jesus can be hard. It's a million times better than the alternative. In the end, all the suffering that might be required of you as you follow Him will not compare to the sheer joy of just knowing Him. Remember our context. Remember Peter on his face before King Jesus in his fishing boat. Suddenly overcome by the majesty and the splendor, the overwhelming sense of the greatness of Christ. And Peter, he wants to run away. He's, he's feeling the weight of his own sins. He's come into the presence of the true, the pure, the holy. And Jesus says to Peter, do not be afraid. And I am convinced that as soon as Peter heard those words, nothing else mattered in the world. The king of glory had accepted him. And had Jesus said, Peter, move that mountain, Peter would have said, yes, Lord. I mean, the boat's being pulled down by the weight of the fish, right? In the Chronicles of Narnia, the, uh, the lion, Aslan, represents Christ and we're told that the folks in that land who have never seen Aslan, they say the silliest things about him. They say, oh, he's probably just like other lions. He's not all that special. He's not to be revered. He's not to be obeyed. He may not even really exist. And then when someone actually sees Aslan, everything changes. They wish they could eat those words. They're never the same. He is more than they could have ever imagined, more than they could have ever known. This week, I finished reading a book called Till We Have Faces by Lewis. And the story, a queen is writing a book against the gods. And she's just unleashing her complaints. She's, she's railing against the gods because of all the things they've done that she hates. And then at the end, she gets brought into the courtroom and she meets him, the God over all gods, the sovereign one, the king. And in one moment, all her railings are gone. All her objections are gone. Her, her book of complaints is like a castle of sand that just gets washed away. Having seen him, she suddenly has nothing else to say. Mount Hermon, when we have come to know Christ, when we have come to taste something of his glory, it changes everything. No one who has a true sense of Christ sits back and ponders, should I follow him? Let me make a pro and con list. Nobody does that. Yes, we should count the cost. But counting the cost for somebody who has seen Christ, it, it doesn't take long. It just doesn't. Once you've come to know him, it's wherever he leads, I'll go. Whatever he tells me to do, I'll do it. Whatever it might mean for my future. Because it's him. As Jim Elliott wrote in his journal, it can't even really be called a sacrifice. Even to suffer for Jesus is a reward in itself. 
because of who he is. It's time to be done. So I'm just going to mention the last mark. The last mark of a true disciple of Christ. I think it's number six. True disciples of Christ depend on him to supply their needs. They depend on him to supply their needs. I think this is a great lesson from this passage that can be missed if you're not paying attention. These men were fishermen. And they... Their whole lives depended on catching fish. That's how they fed their families. That's what their business was. And at one word from Christ, they got the catch of a lifetime. What was the lesson? Well, one lesson was this. They no longer needed to worry that their needs were going to go unmet. (laughs) Because at one word from Christ, Jesus can supply them everything that they need. I mean, this was a big deal to leave everything, right? If we're, if we're not fishing, where's, how are we going to feed our wife and kids? How are we going to make sure that we have something to live on? We're, we're losing our income, Jesus. We're just, we're just going to go follow you. Did you just see what I just did? I'm going to take care of you. I can provide everything you need. The one who calls us to follow him is fully capable of making sure that we have everything we need everywhere along the journey. I think about the Muslim for whom coming to Christ means being cut off from his family, cut off from his job, and maybe even run out of town. It's no light thing being baptized when you're a Muslim in that context. Jesus is able to supply his or her needs. I think about Christians in the early church, and we see even in Jerusalem that following Jesus often meant that people lost their jobs, they lost their family connections, and so we see deacons in Acts 6 being appointed to do what? To, 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 to oversee the distribution. Jesus worked through his people to care for his people. Jesus raised up the funds necessary to make sure that his followers had what they needed. I was talking to Tommy yesterday. Made me want to ask this question. Are you ready to become a George Mueller? Are you willing to step out in obedient faith, even if it means you no longer know where your next paycheck's coming from, even where your next meal is coming from? Are you ready to live on daily faith for your daily needs? And I say that because I am more and more convinced that as our culture continues to change, being a Christian is going to cost us. And you're going to find that it affects your needs. It's always been that way for men and women who come to Christ, who are involved in certain, um, well, industries and businesses that, that just don't align with following Christ. I, I think of folks who, who come to Christ who've been working in the gambling industry. Or folks who come to Christ who've been working for these, these payday loan companies that prey on the poor. And there comes a point when you realize, I, I can't keep my job and follow Jesus. Democratic politicians? Just a joke, just a joke. No, Republicans need Jesus too, okay? Right? But I mean, can you imagine people who've given their whole lives to a, to a, to a, a secular way of life and, and an anti-God way, and then they become a Christian, but their whole life is connected to what they've been doing, right? Rosaria, she lost her career and everything to follow Christ, had to find a, a new way of life that Jesus had prepared for her. I read recently of a pornographer 
He had spent his life taking advantage of girls, making these illicit videos. And then he comes to the Lord Jesus Christ and he has to, he has to give up everything he's ever known. He, he had a new way of life. I've got to find a new income. I've got to find a new job. When Jesus calls us to follow him, he calls us to trust him. He will supply our needs. So Mount Hermon, true disciples of Jesus obey him. True disciples of Jesus know something of his glory. True disciples of Jesus are fishers for men. True disciples of Jesus sacrifice for the cause of Christ. True disciples of Jesus follow where he leads. And true disciples of Christ trust him to supply their needs. May God make us true and faithful disciples. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.